You can see the title of my message on the screen, God's Heart for Church Planting. Um, this is a message that I've wanted to share for a while, and when Caleb told me about the Acts 29 connection with Church Planting Sunday, and for us to spend Church Planting weekend, um, I thought this would be a good day to share that. So we're taking a break from the Ephesians series, and this is just a single sermon that I'm sort of inserting between uh, this run of Ephesians messages that we've done over the last few months. Uh, Preston is going to share whatever's on his heart next week. We just told him just, you know, bring whatever the Lord moves your heart to bring to us in the word. And then we'll get back to the book of Ephesians, uh, eventually, uh, after that. So, uh, just this week I saw another article. I don't know. It's like, I think the world and the media enjoy writing pieces that um, predict the doom of the church, you know. Um, it was another article that was like, uh, it was about uh, somebody famous sort of becoming apostate and falling away from the faith, and they're like, just better get used to this, you know. The church is dying. Less and less people are attending church. Religion has a big problem because it's not keeping up with the times. And, you know, and I, I've read several several articles like that over the last season, and I read that and I go, well, not from where I'm coming from, it's not dying. Uh, I mean, you just saw a video, I mean, Acts 29 is exploding, you know, there's gospel-centered churches being planted all over the world, and even in the pandemic, there was 25 uh, new churches being planted, and those churches are growing, they're not, some of them are not small churches, they're, they're churches that are attracting massive numbers of people, and, you know, not just people like you and me, you know, middle-aged and, and uh, a lot of us middle-aged and old folks, but uh, young people, you know, 16 to 25. And, um, and part of me, when I see a report like that and I hear an article like that, and I realize that it's really not healthy churches that are dying. I mean, healthy churches live. And healthy churches produce health um, and fruit. So the churches that are actually dying are the unhealthy ones. And I don't mean to be cavalier about it, but I'm kind of like, see ya. You know, let them die. You know, if there's churches that aren't preaching the gospel, that are, that are just museums to what the church might have looked like 100 years ago or 50 years ago, let them go. Let them die. We don't need churches like that. We need, we need vibrant, Holy Spirit-filled, gospel-centered churches all over the world and all over our country. And that is a great hope of the world, and that is a great hope of our country. So don't, when you see articles like that, you know, I mean... Take it with a grain of salt, understand the source, and understand they don't see what we're seeing, and they don't see God's metrics, and they don't see the trajectory of true, healthy, gospel-centered churches and gospel-centered movements that really are not only afoot, but are thriving right now around the world. So um, with that, I want to talk about that topic. I want to talk about God's heart for planting churches. In Acts 13, the text we're going to read in a second. By the way, am I getting dripped? Do you see the drip back there? Yeah, it's, uh, we just put that in. Um, self-baptizing, yeah. Um, or, um, I don't know, like my pastor used to say growing up, get under the spout where the glory comes out. So we got one of those. So I, right, right there. So if you want, just, you know, after service, just come up under the spout where the glory comes out. Anywho, back to the message. Um, in Acts 13, what you see here, is what we talked about last week. You see the Holy Spirit very active in this church, um, in the city of Antioch. Now, Antioch was a city that was a mixture 
of Jews and Greeks because it was sort of on the border of, um, of Israel and Syria. And so it's on the north part of Israel and is a Greek city in what then was the Roman province of Syria. And it's actually in present modern day Turkey. And it's still called uh, Antakya. And as an aside, uh, Nate and I went there together and we think it was 2001 and preached the gospel in that city. And, and it was a very powerful night. I remember there was a lot of tension in the country at the time because of uh, tension with Syria that Turkey was having. There was a lot of religious tension in the country. And specifically in that area, there was a lot of religious tension. There was no um, evangelical, and by that I just mean proclamation of the word. There was no uh, evangelical church in that city. There was a Catholic church, and the Catholic priest was delighted to have us come, and he allowed us to use the courtyard that he had for a concert that we did where we shared our music and shared Christ. And uh, it was pretty, pretty cool to be there. Well, this church uh, in Antioch that we're going to read about in Acts chapter 13, we see how that church was started in Acts 11, when after Stephen's persecution, so the, some Christians were scattered and some Christians went to that city in Antioch and they just began to preach the gospel and some people came to Christ. And they contacted the church in Jerusalem and Barnabas was sent to this church as the first elder from Jerusalem. And eventually he invited Paul to come and serve with him there. So not a bad you know, church pastoral staff. You've got Paul the Apostle who wrote half the New Testament and Barnabas a major character in the New Testament story. And though it's unclear how long Paul was there, it's believed that he could have been there for up to eight years. So let's read Acts chapter 13 with that understanding and see what happened um, in this moment. It says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, and they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Let's pray. Lord, in this text, we can see your missionary heart, your heart to, to send, your heart for us to go. And I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to grasp more of your heart today, Lord, for those who don't know you. And I ask, Lord, that we would be inspired, encouraged, taught, and that our hearts would beat with your passion, your missionary heart. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here in Acts chapter 13, you have, a, again, a very spiritually vibrant church. You have spiritual gifts in operation there. It mentions prophets and teachers. So there was this, this resident, like, prophetic gift Apparently, among some of the believers that in the context of this praying and fasting and worshiping God, uh, this word came forth to send Barnabas and Paul to the nations. And that really is the beginning. It's the springboard of a long story of planting churches throughout the Gentile world, the non-Jewish world. Um, as Paul ended up taking four missionary journeys, this one with Barnabas, he took multiple missionary journeys with other companions. As he went all over the uh, Gentile known world at the time, city to city, province to province, country to country, preaching Christ, facing persecution often wherever he went, but also revival, riots and revival, wherever Paul went. And this is really the beginning of that. There seemed to be this, this strong, stable church here, and God just wrecks it, right? 
with, uh, by taking away Paul and Barnabas and sending them on a missionary journey right in the heart of this revival in Antioch. And he sends them to the nations. So what I want to do today is I want to make five observations about church planting from this text. Five observations about church planting. Number one, church planting is on God's heart. I'm not sure what their vision was here in Antioch. You know, maybe they had vision for the city and uh, things they wanted to do. Uh, and they were gathering together to pray and ask God for wisdom. And, and I, I don't know how this hit them. If this was like a curveball or a blindside, but Barnabas and Paul, you're out of here. Because right in the middle of that, God sends these two men on a mission. And what we see here is this church is admiring God. They're worshiping, right? They're admiring God. They're listening to God in prayer. And in the context of that, they get to hear God's heart. That God had a call. God had something on his heart. God had something on his mind. God has a vision for the world. Now in ancient Rome, there was a position in the empire reserved for someone who, his job was simply to go in and listen to Caesar's ideas. What are your ideas? What can you envision for the kingdom? I can envision roads connecting cities and an aqueduct. I can envision uh, this great structure going up over here. And so he would just share his ideas with this guy. And this guy's job was to go out and try to make those ideas happen. Just try to implement those ideas. So in a sense, his job was to hear Caesar's dreams, not the dreams he had in the night, but the dreams he had for the empire, and go out and try to fulfill and implement those dreams. Now, I wonder if we went in and had audience with our king, and we set aside what we wanted. Lord, I ask you for things all the time. If I could ask you for a moment, what's on your heart? What are your ideas? What are your dreams? What are you thinking about? We find here in Acts chapter 13 that God is thinking about the lost. He's thinking about people that don't know him. It's almost like they've come up on daddy's lap through this time of worship and prayer like a child and, you know, they put their ear against daddy's chest and he hugs them and he's loving on them. And, he, I, you know, I love you in Christ. I, I accept you. You're my child. And while they're up there leaning against his chest, they listen to his heartbeat. And his heart says, evangelism, evangelism, go ye into all nations. I'm thinking about the people that don't know me. Now, churches tend to grow inward over time. Most churches do that. But God is always outward. God calls us outward. And in the natural, we see how this works. When, when a body of water ceases to have an outlet, it becomes what we call a swamp. It starts to die. Where once it was life-giving, it begins to die when it has no flow. It has no outlet. This morning we were singing that song... Living waters, that beautiful song, the living waters. And God wants those living waters to flow to us and through us to our communities, to our neighborhoods, to our country, and to the nations of the world. Tim Keller said, our attitude to new church development is a test of whether our mindset is geared to our own institutional turf or to the overall health and prosperity of the kingdom of God. In other words, church planting is good for a congregation because it reminds us to be kingdom thinkers and think outside of ourselves. And it causes us to look outward and flow outward 
And most of all, it's God's heartbeat. It's God's desire. The second observation I want to make about church planting is it's, it's God's idea. If you look at what Paul and Barnabas did on their first missionary journey and, and on what Paul did on all his missionary journeys, you could summarize it with two simple things. Number one, they preached the gospel. Number two, they started new churches. Over and over. Paul didn't come in as, you know, the celebrity Christian, buy my books, come to my meetings, and host the meetings for a couple night, nights, and then leave the city. No, he established communities. He established churches. He wanted to build something permanent in those places. From Antioch, Paul and Barnabas went to the provinces of Cyprus, Pamphylia, Persia, Lyconia, preaching the gospel and establishing churches. And later on, of course, Paul directly or indirectly established churches in Galatia, the book of Galatians, Ephesus, the book of Ephesians, Philippi, the book of Philippians, and Colossae, the book of Colossians, and other places. In all, Paul took four missionary journeys, and it's believed he established directly or indirectly as many as 20 churches, as some churches were planted by churches that he planted. And Paul was never in one place for very long. The longest he stayed in one place was Ephesus, outside of Antioch. Once he went on his missionary journeys, the longest he stayed anywhere was Ephesus. On one of his missionary journeys, he stayed there for three and a half years. But he always established churches, and then the churches he established established churches. And you might be interested to know that the only church that Paul started in Asia was Ephesus. But that church started churches, other churches in Ephesus, also Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Those who know the book of Revelation, those sound familiar? Those are the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Colossae and Hierapolis. And the pattern was similar to others where Paul started a church that started other churches. So clearly, God's choice design for spreading the gospel to the nations was starting new, vibrant, spirit-filled, gospel-centered churches. In his article, Why Church Planting, on the Acts 29 website, Tim Keller said this, Virtually all the great evangelistic challenges of the New Testament are basically calls to plant churches, not simply to share the faith. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 is not just a call to make disciples, but also to baptize. In Acts and elsewhere, it is clear that baptism means incorporation into a worshiping community with accountability and boundaries. The only way to truly be sure that you are increasing the number of Christians in a town is to increase the number of churches. Why? Much traditional evangelism, speaking of the West, aims to get a decision for Christ. Experience, however, shows us that many of these decisions disappear and never result in changed lives. Why? Many, many decisions are not really conversions, but often only the beginning of a journey seeking God. Other other decisions are very definitely the moment of a new birth, but this differs from person to person. Only a person who is being evangelized in the context of an ongoing worshiping and shepherding community can be sure of finally coming home into vital saving faith. This is why lead missiologist C. Peter Wagner said, planting churches is the most effective evangelistic methodology known under heaven. And the stats play that out too. If you're talking about what's the most effective method of evangelism and you compared like, 
you know, street evangelism, cold contact evangelism, uh, evangelistic campaigns, crusades, concerts, uh, even megachurches and multi-siting. You'd have to conclude overwhelmingly that the number one most effective evangelistic method is planting gospel-centered churches. And yet the Western world throughout the last 50 years has become obsessed with celebrity Christian ministers and for the most part abandoned the obvious evangelistic methods we see in Scripture, preferring TV and radio programs, crusades and massive campaigns, or even megachurch movements with one hero pastor where they add sites and then pipe in the hero pastor to those new sites and franchise the one man. But these methods fall far short of the longevity and fruitfulness of planting gospel-centered churches. One more quote from Tim Keller in that article, Why Plant Churches. The vigorous continual, continual planting of new congregations is the single most crucial strategy for, number one, the numerical growth of the body of Christ in any city, and number two, the continual corporate renewal and revival of existing churches in a city. Nothing else, not crusades, outreach programs, parachurch ministries, growing megachurches, congregational consulting, nor church renewal processes will have the consistent impact of dynamic, extensive church planting. This is an eyebrow-raising statement, says Keller. But to those who have done any study at all, it's not even controversial. And so church planting is on God's heart, and it's clearly God's design. It's God's plan. Number three, observation about church planting. Reproduction was God's plan A for Antioch. God's plan all along was that Antioch was to be a church that would make other churches. And it was really the perfect geography for that too. As I mentioned, they were north of Israel on the border with Syria. It became a staging grounds for the gospel to be exported to many different countries. So God had always intended that Antioch would reproduce itself, which I believe is his nature. I'll say it this way. God's indwelling nature in a body of believers is to reproduce. I remember when I was in China in 2004, I met with 40 leaders of the underground church uh, with Pastor Mike Cavanaugh from Elam. We, we flew in, left the airport, a van picked us up and whisked us away to a remote Abandoned hotel in the mountains is really cold. No, no working heat there. But what a time we had fellowshipping with these 40 leaders. And they just talked about the explosiveness and the reproduction that was happening through the cell, the cell church movement of the underground church that they were a part of in that part of China. That's God's nature. God's always looking. He's always looking out. He even looked out of heaven to this world to save us. So the end of all that we do, and this has been our desire from the beginning of Grace Life, the end of all that we do is reproduction. Believers that make more believers. Disciples that make more disciples. Groups that make more groups. Churches that make more churches. This is God's DNA, if you will. Churchplanting.com. Quote, So while starting upwards of 20 churches, speaking of Paul the Apostle, in one's life is impressive, what is far more impressive is how many daughters granddaughters and great-granddaughters, speaking of other churches, were birthed from those. When Paul left earth in the end of his life, he not only left some church plants, he left the DNA of a movement that would eventually spread to the extent that even the Roman Empire itself would surrender to Christianity for better or for worse. 
History was changed in dramatic fashion through this one man's obedience. So, I think this is telling us that our vision at Grace Life, and when we go to Clarksville, when my family goes to Clarksville, our vision in Clarksville can't just be to be a church. What's your vision? We're going to be a church. We're going to be a good church. We're going to be a healthy church. We're going to be a, uh, an evangelistic church. That's all wonderful and all good. But I think we see from Acts 13, and we see from the narrative of Scripture and even church history, that God's desire is reproduction. Acts 29, Pastor Jeff Vanderstelt from Soma Communities in the Northwest said this, and I quote, If reproduction isn't at the end of what you do, the church will be a perpetual orphanage where you have a couple dads taking care of all the kids who never grow into spiritual maturity. Believers that make more believers, disciples that make more disciples, groups that make more groups, churches that make more churches. A few years back, I was in um, Albany, New York, working with Charlie Muller and Victory Church. Love what he's doing there in the city. And we actually took a youth team from Airborne two summers ago. We were going to go last summer again, but, but COVID. <clears throat> but two summers ago, we went, uh, and I'd been there multiple times before that, just doing so much in the inner city. And uh, his church is right there in the heart of the inner city, right in the midst of a lot of danger and crime and sin. And his church is right across the street from a bar. And so one night on one of these trips uh, years back, uh, we were out in the streets inviting people to the church and sharing Christ with people. And, and I met a man named Christopher who'd come out of the bar. And, and I was talking to him just about the gospel. And, and when I started talking about God's love, he immediately resisted. And he said, there's no way God loves me. I said, well, how, you can, how can you say that? He says, I've, I've sinned too much. I've, you know, my, my sin record is, is too... It's, it's too terrible. God, God doesn't accept me. God doesn't love me. And I happened to have my little pocket Bible there, and I took it out, and I flipped open to John 3.16, and I said, look at this verse. It says, for God so loved the world. And I said, and you're the world, right? Goes, yeah. That he gave his son. Huh. That sounds different than what you just said to me. And he just stares at it. And he goes, God does love me. I said, yes, he does, Christopher. You can't outsin the grace of God. And I prayed with him to receive Christ, and I'll never forget what happened. When we were done praying, he lifted up his eyes and he looked at me, and then he goes like this and looks beyond me. I'm like, what is he looking at? Down the street, we, we were uh, a bit down from the exit of the bar at this point. Down the street, another couple had come out of the bar and had come to the bottom of the steps, and, and they're, they're out there smoking. And he, he looks beyond me and he goes, we got to go tell them. I'm like, what? He goes, well, you just told me. You got to go tell them. We got to go tell them. I'm like, all right, let's, let's, let's go, Chris. So we started walking toward them. And, you know, it's kind of awkward, you know, um, like the office meets evangelism, you know. So he was super excited, a little over the top. He's like, we get next to them. And like, they're standing right here. And he's like, okay, tell them. And I'm like, you want me to tell? He goes, tell them especially what you just said about God's love. I'm like, okay. And so I explained to the guy, see, we were down the street, and this guy, you know, I was talking about God's love, and I got, yeah. Anyway, he, he didn't believe God loved him. And anyway, so I opened to this one, and I showed him the verse, and the guy's like, cool. I'm like, it is cool. Chris, it is cool, isn't it? Yeah, it's cool. But 
they didn't, it, they didn't really track with the gospel yet. That couple did. But, but Christopher, one of the things that I took away from that was how immediately. You know, the Bible says when you, when you place faith in Christ, you're indwelled with the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. The minute he was indwelled with the Holy Spirit, he looked beyond me and he had a missionary heart to go reach another person. Immediately. That's God. God is always reaching outward. He, God is about that, that reproduction. And we see that here in Antioch. When they might have been content with what they had. We got a good church set apart for me. Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I prepared them. God's going like this. And he's saying, I want you to look with me. Look. It's like when you take your kid's face and they're, they're crying and they're looking. And you, you take their face and you go like this and you make them look in your eyes. It's kind of what God's doing. He's going, hey, 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 hey. Set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work to which I've called them. The fourth observation we see here, it's very simple and obvious, is Antioch sent Paul and Barnabas. The church wasn't losing them. The church was sending them. Verse 3, after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. First of all, God sends us out in teams. We see that throughout uh, scripture. We see that in Christ's ministry. He sent them out in twos. Uh, there's always this sense of God putting people together to do work. And, and I'm grateful for that because I'm a team guy. Second, God sends out his missionaries and church planters with support from a community. That's the pattern that we see here. Paul had been there almost eight years, likely. And God had established his community of believers. There was, there was family love. There was relationships there. And then they sent them off. And it was kind of like a beachhead. You know what I mean by that, right? You know what a beachhead is? It's a military term that means a defended position on a beach taken from enemy, taken from the enemy by landing forces from which an attack can be launched. And that's what Antioch became. Like I said, it was like a staging area. And, and that's why you'd often see Paul and Barnabas returning there and uh, reconnecting and giving reports. The fact that Paul was possibly there for almost eight years means this church gained a gospel fluency and likely became a healthy place to launch missions. And you talk about a solid pastoral staff. Like I said, Paul wrote half the New Testament. I mean, my job as a teacher of the word is to exegete, to unpack texts of scripture. How about having the guy who, who actually was inspired to write it as your pastor? And then the word comes, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I've called them. In one fell swoop, one fell spiritual swoop, they lost what would seem to be their two primary pastors at God's command. And hey, at least in our case, it's just me going, you know, Caleb Stan. The Lord didn't say, set apart for me, Derek and Caleb. Though, yeah, well, she's, my, she's part of my team, isn't she? Though there was an affection between these men and the body at Antioch, there doesn't seem to be any tension about what's happening here. Antioch really is a beautiful model of a healthy, gospel-centered, sending church. And I've always prayed that Grace Life would be like an Antioch church, that we would be a discipleship factory, raising up people who are mature and have a vision for ministry in other places. And when we think like an Antioch church, we'll never say we're losing the Lewanduskis or they're leaving us. When we think like they did in Antioch, you'll say we get to send them to a new mission field. And maybe if you get really excited, you'll say, when can we do it again? When can we start another church? 
When can we do something else for Jesus? The Antioch church sent them. And observation number five, and what I want to do here is step way back from the text and look at the big picture even of the New Testament. Let's state the obvious. Antioch exists because Jesus is a church planter. Jesus was the first church planter. This church exists in Acts 13 because Jesus was sent by the Father on a mission to the world. Acts 13 comes after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see Jesus establish a mobile church of disciples. You know, it gives us a picture of the 12 and then the 72, almost like this mobile church that ceased to be mobile after his death and resurrection in the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem as 3,000 were added to their number and the church was birthed, the church was launched. And in Matthew 16, 18, if we go back, Jesus looked forward to that day and he looked forward to the days that would follow his resurrection and his ascension. And he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus is saying, I have a zeal for something that I am going to accomplish. You're going to be a part of it. You're going to obey me. You're going to go out. You're going to preach the gospel. You're going to, you're going to go to cities. You're going to go to places for me, but I will build my church. There's this, there's this resolution about this statement. Jesus said, there's this certainty about it. And we see this playing out throughout Paul's ministry. Listen to what happened in Corinth. So Acts 13, this Antioch text that we're reading about, set apart for me, Saul and Barnabas, they go out. Acts 18, Paul is still fulfilling that mission to plant churches among the Gentile nations. And it says in Acts 18, verse 8, And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you for I have many people in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So this must have been a scary city. There must have been the threat of persecution. Some people had already come to Christ, but Jesus here is telling Paul there's more. And he's saying, don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to work through your preaching. I have many people in this city. He's talking about people that hadn't even come to Christ yet. God uses the doctrine of election. The idea that Jesus himself is zealously saving people through our preaching to motivate Paul to preach the gospel. It was a scary city, but in a sense, Jesus is saying, don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm already working. You're not alone. You're not beating the air. More people will get saved because I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so it's, it's playing out. Jesus' resolution in Matthew 16 is playing out through Paul and his ministry in, in Acts 18. Jesus has always been about establishing his church, his family, and leaving his spiritual DNA in them through the Holy Spirit whom he would send. And you and I should be glad that Jesus is a church planter. Because what that tells us is we couldn't go to him. He had to come to us. He was on a mission to save you and me. We couldn't crack the sky and get into heaven. So Jesus came to this world. In the Old Testament, mankind tried, didn't they? Through the Tower of Babel, they tried to build a tower to God. And as we read the gospel story, we see that God ultimately says, they could never make it up to me. I'll go to them. And I'll save them. And I'll rescue them. And I will build my church. And the gates of hell won't prevail. 
And he came to this world on a mission to start his church, to plant a church in Jerusalem, Jesus did. That would be the seed of a movement that would spread throughout the nations and throughout the ages. Years later, somewhere, at some point, a church was planted near you. And you heard the gospel, didn't you? And you came to Christ. Or maybe your mother and your father did. Maybe your grandparents or great-grandparents were immigrants and somewhere in another country there was a gospel-preaching church near them and they heard the gospel and somehow it came down the generations to you. Whether you're a first-generation Christian or second, third, or fourth-generation Christian, somewhere, sometime, the gospel came to you. And it started with Jesus and his disciples in Jerusalem and it made its way to Antioch. In Acts 13, and from there it spread to the Gentile world, throughout the world and throughout the ages, and it came to you. And in 2010, we started a gospel preaching church here in Avon. And we prayed that the Holy Spirit would use us, that God would use us to start other churches. And now the Holy Spirit is moving my family to Clarksville to do it again. And you are sending us. And as Caleb said, this won't be the last church Grace Life plants, because God is always going to be going like this. Let's go tell them too. Because this is his heart. And we see it so clearly in Jesus, the church planter. Jesus, the missionary from heaven to earth. Our God has been a searching God from the beginning. We have not sought him. He sought us. If you look at how mankind acted after the fall. Adam and Eve made fig leaves. And God came in the garden. And they ran from him. And they hid from him. They weren't looking for him. They were running from him. God was seeking them. And God cries out, Adam, where are you? And that's the gospel, isn't it? He calls us by name. He says, where are you? Why are you running from me? Why are you running from my word? Why are you running from my people? Why are you running from the church? Come to me. Walk with me. Know me. In my son, there's forgiveness of sins. I want to share a few things about what we're going to be doing in Clarksville. And I want to preface this by saying thank you to the rest of the elders for uh, allowing me to do this. Um, the hospitality and generosity that has been demonstrated by the elders to my family has been um, stunning to me. Uh, I, I, I think maybe some of you know, and probably most of you know, maybe some of you don't, but when this type of thing happens, oftentimes it doesn't go well. When somebody says, we're, we're going to move somewhere else. We're going we're to take a, a position in a different city. We're going to start another church in a different... Sometimes that doesn't go well at all. And, and I just want to commend the guys for the, for the careful, patient way that they have processed this season in prayer and in conversation and in counsel with one another and with the members of this body. And, um, and now the, the incredible hospitality and generosity they're showing in, in the way that, that they want this body to send us out. We just are grateful and, um, and amazed at the grace of God that's at work in, in, in the quality uh, men that, that lead this church in the eldership. With that, what's our mission in Clarksville? Um, I, you know me. I mean, most of you know me. I, I've been saying for a while, I don't get to make up my mission. <laughs> Jesus already gave us marching orders. He said to go into all nations, preach the gospel, and make disciples. And so that's what we're going to do. Our mission is to preach the gospel and to make disciples. Uh, what will that look like? How will we do it? We'll fulfill our mission by planting a new church that pursues gospel centrality in doctrine and culture. That we're... We're teaching the Word of God, but also encouraging gospel in practice. Uh, Ray Ortland, who is a man that I have a lot of respect for and actually is going to be living pretty close to us in Nashville, 
said in his book, The Gospel, Gospel doctrine creates gospel culture. The doctrine of grace creates a culture of grace. When the doctrine is clear and the culture is beautiful, the church will be powerful. But there are no shortcuts to getting there. Without the doctrine, the culture will be weak. Without the culture, the doctrine will seem pointless. And so our heart is to, you know, go there and, and, and build a, a thriving community of believers, you know, like we've had here in Grace Life, and, and put that on display and, in a sense, build a city within the city, a community within the community. Clarksville is a city of 150,000 people. Uh, and one of the things we've become aware of is that uh, many gospel faithful Christians and churches have been praying that there would be new gospel-centered expressions in Clarksville. Um, one of the things that attracted us to this area was Acts 29 has a very strong presence in Tennessee, uh, in the southeast region. We are currently in the North Atlantic region here, uh, but Acts 29 has a strong presence in the th- southeast region, which includes Tennessee, and there's about six or seven churches already in Nashville, but 45 minutes away in Clarksville, there are zero And uh, we found that there are people in the city, people in Acts 29, and people in other churches in the area who have been praying. And that was one of our first questions before we, you know, finally decided to to do this in Clarksville in particular was, have you guys been praying for this? Is this something that's been on your heart? Is this something that you've been thinking about? Or are, are we coming into an area where we'd be stepping on toes and there's already things happening? And so we've realized very quickly that, Um, this decision that we made to obey the Lord and go to Clarksville is a direct answer to the prayers of a number of people, faithful people in that area uh, who have said, Lord, raise up churches and raise up labors for the harvest there in Clarksville. Uh, So we've already connected with some local Christians. We actually already connected with another pastor and his wife uh, who are planting another gospel-centered church in another part of the city of Clarksville. They're great people, and we're getting... uh, Excited to know them, get to know them more when we get down there. They're excited to have us down there and fellowship with us. We're getting to know other regional Acts 29 leaders. One of the dynamics you have there in that part of Tennessee is you have the Emmanuel network of churches in the Nashville area, which is an Acts 29 uh, network of churches, but it's like a network within a network. So it's a very small network within that area of Tennessee uh, that fellowships with the greater movement of Acts 29. And the Emmanuel Church movement was started by Ray Ortland and his team that went there over 10 years ago. A bunch of old folks and middle-aged folks said, we're going to go down to Nashville and start a gospel-centered church. Jesus, give us grace to reach the next generation. And that's exactly what they've done. And they've already planted within about 10 years uh, two or three other churches, and there are others in the pipeline. And I've already made a very strong connection with them and a guy that I knew previously, Scott Thomas, who's the executive pastor at Emmanuel. And we're discussing the possibility of uh, our church being not only within the Acts 29 movement, but even within the Emmanuel network of churches. When we get down there, our hope is to attend Emmanuel for a season and get to know those uh, brothers and sisters for a season before we publicly launch in Clarksville. Planting a church also requires getting into the community, and we plan to do this by engaging our neighbors, engaging with our neighbors, uh, investing in the school community, and starting a youth and middle school wrestling club. We're already in the planning stages of this with some local wrestling coaches. Um, yeah, we, we kind of found what school we wanted our kids to attend. And, and on our scout trip, we went down there and met the coaches of the wrestling program, two great Christian guys who think a lot like we do. They see themselves as missionaries cleverly disguised as wrestling coaches. And uh, not that I want to bore you with the details of 
the contrast between the wrestling culture in New York and the wrestling culture in Tennessee, but for the sake of understanding the niche that we can have there and the mission field that we can have, in New York, there's a pretty vibrant um, <clears throat> culture for developing wrestlers from third grade, third grade through eighth grade. There's almost nothing in Tennessee in that area. So in that sense, it's like kind of behind New York. And that's something that I've done here for the last 10 years. And that's something that they want. And so uh, Steve, one of the wrestling coaches, has already found a site for us to have our club. It's actually uh, probably going to be in a local church in that area. And um, we're immediately going to be able to start doing that and get into the community and meet wrestlers and their families and engage that mission field as we've done here. The scripture the Lord gave us in prayer is from Psalm 37 and in particular verse 3 as Heidi and I spent some time in prayer and fasting a few months ago. It says, trust the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. And that's our simple plan. We want to go down there, dwell in the land and begin doing good, faithfully preaching Christ and building community. And we're confident that over time, this will, just like it did in Avon, build a healthy local church that grows, as Paul said, with a growth that is from the Lord. We did sell our house, and uh, we're grateful that we were able to sell it for uh, over the asking price. The market is crazy right now, but it's also crazy down there. So you could be praying for us that we would find where the Lord wants us to dwell in the land. Um, the market is just absolutely berserk. So um, we're not sure if we're going to purchase yet or maybe... Uh, rent and let the market cool off and get a feel for the area and where we might want to be long term. But please be praying for that for us. As far as the kind of the culture and climate of the area, as I mentioned, Clarksville is a city of 150,000 people. It's a diverse city with a significant military presence due to the uh, military base Fort Campbell, which is uh, nearby. So there's a lot of military families and a lot of retired military families. Clarksville is also the home of Austin P University with its 10,000 college students, which I think they're probably famous for D1 football and, and basketball. Uh, and the area is booming. The religious culture of Clarksville is similar to the rest of Tennessee, though slightly more secularized. 52.8% of the people of, of Clarksville consider themselves religious. However, typical of Bible Belt culture, something my wife and I experienced firsthand when we lived in Texas for three years from 1996 to 98, uh, many people are lost in religious confusion and stuck in one of the isms, religious isms, legalism, moralism, fundamentalism, or we'll just plain call it celebrityism, where there's one hero leader that sort of becomes the priesthood figure of the movement and uh, people never mature in Christ. So the need for healthy gospel-centered churches is great. There's a desire for it. People are praying for it. And um, we're excited to go and be a part of that, what God's doing there. So you might say that we'll be reaching the irreligious, you know, the unsaved, uh, and we'll be reaching the religious, those lost outside the church and those lost inside the church who have a form of godliness, but no life-shaking, life-changing power in that. So you could be praying for us in that way. Our timeline is uh, we intend right now to... Uh, leave this area in July, um, just in time for the kids to go to school in August. So our kids are excited that they will get 2.5 weeks of summer vacation this year <laughs> as Tennessee school starts early. Um, but from August 2021 to February 2022, our plan is simple. We want to build relationships with as many people as we can. We just want to connect with people. 
within Acts 29, within the Emmanuel network of churches, uh, within our local community, within the wrestling community, the school community. And as I mentioned, we want to attend Nashville, uh, Emmanuel Nashville, and connect with a small group and get to know some people. This fall, we want to launch the wrestling club and just kind of start getting some presence in the community. And we want to launch a weekly core team small group a meeting with whoever wants to join us or whoever's interested. Uh, we've become aware that there's a number of people who attend one of the Acts 29 churches out in Nashville, but live in Clarksville. Some of them travel almost an hour. And so uh, there seems to be the idea that there will be some who would be interested in possibly joining us in what we're doing right there in Clarksville. And in March 2022, about 11 months from now, after all that I just described to you, we hope to launch our first public Sunday gathering in Clarksville, and you could be praying for that as well. As far as need goes, I'll be working part-time, but at the same time, we're raising some funds to support my family for the first two years of the church plant. Um, And we're also raising uh, $10,000 in one-time gifts for startup supplies for the church and the Missional Wrestling Club that uh, we're going to use to engage the community. Uh, If you're interested in supporting us, uh, there's some letters on the back table, that first table right there. Uh, A lot of what I've said is in here. And there's instructions for how you can support us with a one-time gift or monthly um, through Isaiah 6 Ministries, the not-for-profit that I've had uh, for years and years. Uh, And there's instructions about how to do that. There's also some specific things that we're going to be raising funds for in there, some of the one-time gifts specifically that we'll need, and what our family fundraising goal is for that. And uh, most of all, please be praying for us. Um, We've just become so aware during this last season of what a means of grace uh, prayer is. And so uh, if that's how you support us, uh, that to us is greater than even giving to us financially and will mean a lot to us because we know that uh, you'll be eager to know and stay in touch with what's going on there. And um, I think where your, where your prayers are, there your heart is. So please be praying for us as well, and we'd appreciate that. And we're grateful ahead of time for that.